Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. How are you? Hello, Eleni. Welcome to our new quarterly theme, Quarter 4 Health Innovations. So exciting to be in this quarter, and I can't believe we're already at this point in the year. Yeah, this is when Natasha, our producer, and I look at the calendar. We're like, we need to launch all these episodes before the end of, the de- of December. So um, we're really excited to have a really great quarter for our listeners. That's amazing. So who do we have on the show today? So this is a good one. This is the Chief Scientific Officer of Galderma and Head of Innovation Elastin, Alan Widgero. And we actually get to work with Alan through our base beauty work with Elastin. Yeah, that's amazing. And the professional skincare space and the aesthetic space is such an interesting place to create content and storytelling and messaging for every day. And I get to work closely with Alan's team, actually, creating brand campaigns and working on different marketing efforts for them. Well, this is a really fun one because Alan has really great stories. And I love how our team behind the scenes utilizes him as an expert as we develop these programs. So some of my favorite projects we worked on with them was the launch of their hyaluronic acid serum and their brightening serum and their brand campaign. And I'm just so proud of that work. Yeah, amazing, amazing work. We've gotten to work with Lindsay and shout out to Lindsay for all her great work and also to Amelia who I'm sure is listening to this episode and she was a great help to our producer Natasha and getting all of the technical recording parts of this episode set up. Well um, you'll notice Alan he has a South African accent and we talk a lot about his journey what brought him to the U.S. and to California so it's a very very interesting episode. Oh I'm excited to hear that personal journey he gets into. Let's jump into episode 242 with Alan Widgerow. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for it in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we are starting our health innovations theme with Alan Widgerow, Chief Scientific Officer at Galderma and Head of Innovation at Elastin. After 20 years in private plastic surgical practice in South Africa, Alan relocated to Irvine, California to pursue his interest in research, medical device innovations, and wound care and he still plays an active role in academic medicine worldwide. He has redesigned and introduced major research projects with a team of 20 researchers and runs a dynamic research facility at UC Irvine Medical Center, where he is currently Division Chief of Research. I'm excited to dive into this conversation about his career journey from South Africa to the United States, all in episode 242. Hi, Alan. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Nice to be with you, Jody. Thank you. 242. Wow, that's that, that's a long record you got there. Yes, we've been doing this for six years. <laughs> Wonderful. And it started as a way for me to, um, you know, almost get like free business coaching, free therapy. It's amazing to hear people's stories. They are never straight lines. They are always zigzags. So in fact, you got in before COVID, which is interesting. I would have thought this would have been a COVID ideal opportunity. Yes, this was a, um, a situation and an opportunity that rose out of the fact that I run my own business and, you know, it can be very lonely in my head. So I really needed to hear from other people how they navigate their careers. Perfect. So, um, Alan, you know, this is a career journey show and I like to go way, way, way back um, when we start this conversation because we are so influenced by how we grew up and what we were exposed to. So let's think back to your childhood, to the 10-year-old self. Um, what was the first career that you started to dream about? 
You're not joking. That really is way back. Okay, so 10 years old. You know, I'd been exposed to the medical field. My father was an anesthesiologist, and uh, he used to bring home all sorts of uh, IV lines and, 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 and fun toys for us to play with. In fact, it's funny because there was a, a neighbor down the road that used to play uh, with me. We used to stick these IV lines up in a tree and do all sorts of things with them. And to this day, they call him Doc, and he's an investment banker in New York somewhere and had nothing to do with medicine. So he's the guy that uh, really got the nickname Doc, but I went on to becoming uh, a doctor myself, being exposed to all of those for all the years. And uh, funny enough, you know, when I, when I started uh, looking and exploring doing medicine, I always had this sort of... Uh, look look out for reconstructive um, areas and uh, somebody passed me or, or, or showed me some articles in a book on craniofacial surgery which is really surgery involving the cranium which is the skull and the face and doing reconstructions there and I was really taken with the whole story so much so that I applied for dentistry and I actually got into dentistry. They were both really difficult at the time, dentistry and medicine. They were on a path to get in, but I got into dentistry. And uh, round about my, not round about, exactly in my third year when I was starting to do prosthetics, which is the artificial teeth setup, I quite honestly was not enjoying it too much. And I had a phone call in the middle of prosthetics. The lecturer came in and said, Witcher, somebody's looking for you. There's a phone call for you, which I did, you know, completely uh, took me by surprise. I went out there and they said, uh, hi, listen, we've heard through the grapevine that you're not very happy. This is medical school here. Do you want to come over to medical school and, and join us at medical school? And I said, you know, let me think about it. I'll get back to you in 24 hours. And they said, listen, buddy, this does not happen every day. <laughs> you know, you want to come, you come over right now and you make up your mind. And uh, in fact, I walked out of my prosthetics class. I picked up my set of false teeth that I was making. And that was the last time I actually uh, entered dental, uh, dental school. And uh, it, from then, really, it, plastic surgery was something that I, that, that I really wanted to do. The reconstructive element was something that drew me uh, incredibly to the field and just this amalgamation of creativity and science was, was terrific at the time. So right from the early age, and in fact, you, I used to get dressed up in, in clothes in the OR and join my dad in there from when I was tiny. He used to bring me in and watch it and I used to be involved watching different surgery and he was a neuroanesthetist. So these were brain surgeries were going on for hours and hours and hours. Uh, suffice it to say that I was pretty exposed to the lifestyle and to what we did and to what uh, medicine really involved and surgery involved. And I became sort of uh, attracted to it in that way. So we started with IV lines in the, um, the, in the, in the woods in the playground, uh, then to dental molds, and then this really incredible phone call. I mean, you could have just been like not in the room when the phone rang, right? Like imagine what would have happened if you had just take, gone out for a walk and the phone was ringing at that moment. It's really incredible. You know, Jody, so many things in life, almost, almost everything revolves around serendipity and luck. Basically, you've thought about something, you've said something, somebody heard that, they call you the next... So this sort of planning, I mean, I, 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 never, uh, I never thought I'd quote Mike Tyson, but basically Mike Tyson said you can make as many plans as you want until you're hit in the face. 
And essentially, in so many situations, that's true. Because what happens is you can plan and plan and plan, and suddenly out of left field comes an opportunity or something or something. So it's, it's the same reason I suddenly landed up doing dentistry, is I just happened to see this article. I mean, I, you know, I had no sort of uh, attraction affiliation to normal dentistry, but this reconstruction looked, looked really great to me. So, so yes, you're absolutely right. A phone call and uh, change changed my my complete direction, and and that happens so often in life. And I want to share full disclosure that uh, my team at Base Beauty works with the Elastin team we have for about two years, and um, I love hearing about the magic behind the scenes. And that actually makes me wonder, Alan, what is that painting behind you? Is that like a skin cell or something? Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim um, ownership of that one, but it was a workshop that was done here with some of the salespeople. And they had a they had a challenge to draw the extracellular matrix, uh, which is the actual depth of the skin. So on the top you have the epidermis, you have the dermis below there, and that's the factory where fibroblast cells produce collagen and elastin and all sorts of things. And they were tasked with the duty of actually painting this. And the winner was presented to Widgero, the winner's uh, painting, and that now sits in my office here in, in uh, Carlsbad. So that's what you see, a really nice effort at painting the extracellular matrix of the skin. What a fun and valuable project to work on. That's awesome. Thank Indeed. you for sharing that. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, pursuing plastic surgery. Um, you know, you got this call to medical school. It sounds like a really far distance between going to medical school to be a, a physician and then um, someday working at this incredibly innovative lab developing skin care solutions. So there's a lot in between there. Um, and, you know, once again, we this started off not in this country. So take us along a little journey through medical school and um, where you headed after that. Certainly, and you're absolutely right. It's a, it's a long and winding road, but the, not in a tedious fashion, in a, in, a, in a really nice, challenging fashion. And as we were saying before, you know, planning is one thing, but really being on the spot and changing and how the, your lifestyle and your dynamics change related to the uh, events going on around you were all really related to the fact of where I am now. So uh, it first, it started with plastic surgery, loved doing plastic surgery. I sort of, uh, I practiced in South Africa for, for 20 years in plastic surgery, but I was very dedicated to uh, academics in the beginning. I uh, sort of involved myself in a lot of um, publishing of peer-reviewed publications and scientific publications. Uh, I became a, a professor in South Africa of plastic surgery there. I was involved in research in those days, so it was very much um, part of my life is, is this questioning and this research component of plastic surgery. But plastic surgery is also a beautiful field in, in that, as I mentioned earlier, it's a sort of amalgamation of creativity and science. And there's almost no two cases that are the same, and you look at things and you question and part of that whole creativity and I, I did sculpting on the side as well. So it all fitted into my sort of mindset in terms of um, what I would do. And, you know, I often get asked if, if, if you had the choice again, would you, you know, what would you do differently? And there's not a lot that I would do differently, quite honestly, because all these passages of different things that I've done have been rewarding in their own way and have sort of built up my expertise in different areas. So to get back to that, I, I practiced plastic surgery for, for 20 years, went through the academic, I was president of the Association of Plastic Surgeons of Southern Africa, went through all those kind of um, areas. 
And two things happened. Number one is I, after 20 years, I was going through a little bit of a philosophical questioning, which I will get to, but it became very, very hastened in terms of a decision to leave the country related to security issues in the, in the country at the time. Uh, I have my wife and three children, and uh, there were incidents involving security and really harrowing incidents involving you know, life-threatening uh, life episodes. And, um, and that sort of swung me to say, okay, you know what, irrespective, I'm not going to risk the safety of my family for my actualization process. And in fact, getting back to the philosophy, maybe my actualization process will coincide with leaving here and picking up new areas that I wanted to look at. And really that thinking was that there are a lot of people in the world and plastic surgeons doing facelifts, abdominoplasties, breast uh, augmentations that I was doing at the time. But there are not a lot of surgeons that are actually, having been there, understand that area and then go to the basic sciences and try and develop new things that are going to make a difference in terms of new developments, validation. It, it was the perfect storm at the time of molecular biology and genetics and uh, bioengineering and everything coming together. So for me, I looked at this and I thought, you know, this is a really great time to get involved in something that is affiliated to it, but on a research, on a uh, real uh, search for, for new innovations and devices at the time. So that was my thinking when we, when we left the country at the time. How much time between this first idea of uh, I'm going to leave and move my family out of South Africa to actually doing it? How much time passed? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, it started, the seed was there around about eight or nine years before we left. But it really became, it hastened, as I said, after the incidents that happened there. And um, part of that was really re-establishing. Uh, I was fortunate from an academic side, I had uh, green cards for the entire family based on an exceptional academic merit things. I've done various things that, that, that uh, immigration were excited about and they granted us green cards for the whole family. So that was a huge you know, bonus for us. But at the same time, I wanted to establish myself in the United States with banking accounts, insurances, uh, just the, the basic things so that when I left, I didn't have to start this all over again. So to be honest, by the time we left, um, you know, I took my wallet, my American wallet, put it in my back pocket, and there was my Wells Fargo card and my driver's license from the States and, and all the things that I needed. And, I, and, and we booked a one-way ticket for the first time. We've been coming backwards and forwards for 20 years because my wife's family were here. So, um, so it, was, it was a reasonably easy transition, other than I did not know what I was going to do with my life. I had no plans because you cannot make plans long distance. You have to be there to make things happen. So, so that was a little bit of a challenge. So who was your first call career-wise when you got here? You know, it was interesting. It took me a while. What I wanted to do was just get the lay of the land. And there were two sort of areas that I looked at. Number one is I had already developed uh, products, in particular a, a scar reduction product. So I wanted to get out there and get to know the people in the, in the industry and see if I wanted to license this technology to anyone. And at the same time, the academics was really important for me. So I sort of stepped into the uh, UCI plastic surgery very early. I, I sort of went in there, introduced myself to uh, 
Greg Evans, who is the still is the the chairman, and um, uh, that was really just a matter of okay, I want to come to the meetings. You know, I'd love to use your research lab. Let me see. But I had to establish my credentials and my uh, you know my worth to be there. And uh, after doing that for two years, lecturing to the residents, doing various things. Um, Greg Evans approached me and said, look, I know you've been wanting to use the lab. One better, don't you want to take over the lab for us and, you know, see what you can do with it in terms of running research? And that was in 2012. We arrived here in the beginning of 2010, end of 2009. And 2012, um, I really joined UCI on condition, really. I mean, I wasn't sort of pushing them, but I didn't want, I wanted my academic credentials recognised, so it went through the Senate and I was appointed you know, uh, a professor there so that uh, my credentials could be recognised, especially for United States, you know, people don't know the University of the Viceroy in South Africa, or that's an excellent university, people don't recognise it, but they certainly recognise the University of California, so uh, that became an important first step in terms of of getting there, getting credentials, and then starting to work on the lab. And, and, and that was a real challenge. Uh, I created the Centre for Tissue Engineering there, really working with, and, and still to this day, many, most of the uh, personnel work there non-salary because they want to uh, improve their knowledge of research and uh, because it, it looks excellent on the CV and because it, it, it's very life, uh, for physicians in particular, it, it, it gives you a different approach to looking at medicine if you keep questioning and you keep thinking about it and keep looking at things in a different way. And that's been the you know the great the great joy of, of being involved with the lab is seeing seeing students from um, bio one one nine biology students really make, making the way into uh, medical school. I have PhDs, I have plastic surgeons, I have a whole range. So we built up a, a really nice lab, and most of them volunteers. I have my you know my, my fixed PhDs that are chief scientists that are there um, permanently, but the others there come for fellowships for a year anywhere between one, I've had some for five years, just to develop their skills in terms of research. And uh, and I find that very useful because basically having your ear on the ground and knowing what's happening around you makes makes one very aware uh, of the latest movements and techniques and where we need to go. And that's a very nice balance for me in the academics. And then I have this huge you know, private role. And, and the two feed each other very nicely. It sounds like your happy place is in the research lab. Um, how different is it, like, spending your work days with the research team versus a work day with, like, the marketing team or the sales team? So my happy place is in research, irrespective of where we are in terms of that. The great thing about private is you can get things done a lot faster. So um, most of the projects we do at the university are these moonshot long sort of uh, projects ahead of they're very exciting and they're great things we work with stem cells and we work with all sorts of things that are that are current and and, and happening um, but it takes a long time number one to get there and number two funding 
is such a challenge in terms of uh, today's sort of um, field. You know, NIH funding is it's something like 3% acceptance rate, anything between 3 and, and, and 10% acceptance rate. So it's really low and really challenging, and we look for funding all the time. Uh, and on the private side, I can develop things relatively quickly, get them validated, get into the market, move things. So it's beautiful to see both sides at work. And uh, marketing, when I'm involved in it, it's usually on, okay, what are we doing that's different? How do we excite our customers? And our customers are professionals, dermatologists, plastic surgeons across the board, uh, aestheticians, really, how do we excite them with new science and new things they can talk about and new results that you're getting that aren't there? And each one of our products has that in mind. How's this going to be different? We don't want to do me too's. We don't want to do what's being done around the corner. So research is the focus of all of that. And when I'm involved with marketing, it's really involved with what's the messaging here that is really cool and different and, and new. I had a friend once who worked at a um, very large beauty company with a very, very, very um, significant investment in research and many research facilities all over the world. And she said to me, the research team can't communicate with words clear enough to the rest of the organization why their research matters. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I would imagine this is probably a pretty typical challenge, right? The researchers learn their way and then they have some big discovery, but they might not have the language to apply it, to make it um, applicable to trends or what's coming next. I think you're really good at this. So I'm curious, like, what advice you would give researchers working in this space on how to actually, like, sell in their work. And that's, you know, that's a challenge. You're absolutely right, Jody. Uh, that's a challenge. The expression without insulting anybody that I get so often is, dumb it down, dumb it down, you know, and, and, and that's no inference on, on the people I'm talking to. It's just that you get esoterically involved in language and things. I mean, you talk about that. When I joined UCI, I, I literally took me three months to understand what they were talking about because they were just acronyms for everything. So everything that you had to do, whether it was Hiskra or Ayakuk or Arabis or all the sort of things are, are esoteric United States, American, and very often um, acronyms. And uh, people can say three sentences and you can look at them and not understand a word of what they've said just because everything's incorporated. You know, we see this on, on, on daily on the TV when they're talking about a disease process. Everything gets shortened you know, uh, to, to this ITB and, and, and FUC and if you've got this and if you, all these kind of things that they're talking about uh, that become a completely different language. So that becomes a challenge. Now, when explaining the things, why you have, the challenge there is to be able to explain it but not to dilute it down so much that it sounds exactly like what's been explained for the last 20 years. How is this different? What is it doing that is different to what has been done before? And uh, that picture of the extracellular matrix that you see behind me, you know, that's our sandpit, that's our playing ground right in that area because that's where everything's happening with the skin. And to be able to explain it and to use different examples like we change the nature of that extracellular matrix that has been damaged by the sun. Uh, and if you take an analogy like uh, planting, when you're, when you're looking at a new grove, if you will, or something like that, the first thing you've got to do, 
get rid of all the weeds, take all the age-old things that have accumulated there, clean it up, put some nice soil down, and now you can start planting. Well, that planting, we decide, is a procedure. It's pretty similar to a procedure. And before you start doing a procedure, our whole message where we were alone right in the beginning was prep that skin beforehand. You know, get things done so that you can get that soil turned and you can get all the natural elements in there and then you can start planting, doing your procedure, and you'll see that the outcomes are much improved. So that's just giving you an example of sort of changing the dynamic a little bit so that people understand it. But it is a challenge, no question. So I think what I'm hearing is that the um, researcher needs to understand that their audience doesn't under, doesn't know the acronyms. They don't know that language, right? They have to really step outside of their world and repackage their message. Yes. So the message is really important. And where I have the advantage and what's really nice about a physician, scientist, entrepreneur, whatever the story is, is recognizing the niche in there and knowing what my colleagues are sort of lacking in the field. And I can say to them, you know, there's nothing for this. I know that when I was in practice, this was a particular problem. This is this is what we're actually, the niche that we're filling for you now, is that we're giving you an answer to this particular problem. So having been on both sides of it is a, is a distinct advantage for me from that side. And professional skincare is very different in terms of mass market, or you know, different from mass market, because the messaging there is to a sort of educated audience, if you will, but esoterically educated. In other words, these are dermatologists and plastic surgeons, so the level that I can start at is really different. But I'm talking at all sorts of levels, so I need to know, okay, who's the audience, what's the audience there, and then we can, uh, you know, we can adapt it accordingly there. And, and again, comes in the, your question and the challenges. All right, how do you change the terminology so that they understand what you're saying? Because, you know, gene expressions and all these sort of things get very complex in terms of explaining. You spoke about this journey from, you know, having a really established career as a plastic surgeon in South Africa and then picking up the family. There's a topic that I really love to think about um, with my guests is what I call the seduction of success, right? So you were successful. It sounds like you were, you know, really racking up the accolades in South Africa. And I found that once I reach like one of my goals and I get a taste of reaching the goal, I want more <laughs> and I want more. So um, I yeah. find that it's really seducing me. It's like trying to seduce me away from maybe my family or my fitness or my friends, right? So I'm curious, you know, after, you know, you, you've established yourself and then reestablish yourself and then reestablish yourself again. Do you find that your career um, seduces you and like calls you? And if you do, then how do you actually say like, let me press pause on that to pay attention to the other things that are important to me in my life? Yeah, I think there are two important things, you know, related to that. I think number one is I'm not very, when I get into a comfort zone, I'm not sort of comfortable in that zone. In other words, I'm constantly looking at something that's going to challenge and excite me. And uh, that becomes a sort of overriding theme in my life in that if I look at it, I've changed a lot of things and a lot of really um, impactful things in my life purely because I think, okay, what's, what's the next challenge where we're going? But that will only be done if I've done the last one successfully. It's not that I'm going to start things and leave them, you know, where they are. But if I've done it successfully and I feel like, okay, we're here, then I sit down and I think, all right, now what? 
you know, I'm not going to just do this. So essentially, I'm not a golfer, and I'm not—I'm not very good at playing golf. So spending all those hours there is is not within my per, you know my personality. It's always okay. Let's see what a challenge. And I actually feel the most satisfied when I think of a new sort of um, area of research or a new breakthrough or a new area that I can get. It. That 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 sort of gets my juices going. So from that perspective, absolutely. And I think that also you're absolutely right. What happens is when you get one area that has worked successfully, you just want to move that same sort of direction uh, along the way. And, and this has been great. Can I use the same kinds of principles um, to this new direction and see if it works for me? And uh, so far I've been lucky, you know, either... I mean, there's a saying that it's better to be lucky than to be skillful. So I, you know, I don't know, but it seems to have worked uh, worked for me in that direction. That uh, uh, that it's worked one way or the other. It sounds like you're lucky and skillful, which is quite lovely. So, who knows? So, Alan, um, before we close out this part of the show. What do you like to do when you're not working? So I mentioned that that I I do I used to sculpt a lot, um, but then I used to have a whole setup in South Africa where I had the uh, in, you know the area that I could get the brass made and all sorts of things. So I don't have that infrastructure, so that's something I don't do too much anymore. But I have done in the past. I like getting out there, I like being out in nature, and I like uh, reading. And um, you know, as I said previously, I mean it sounds very nerdy and terrible, but it goes with with what I do is that I like to see, okay, what's new out there? Let me read. Let me get excited about something else there. So, so reading, a little bit of hiking, getting out there, that you know, that that's great. I mean, I'm nowhere in the league of my son who hikes, uh, you know, almost every every weekend and does his thing. He's in a whole different league. But I love being out there with nature. So if I'm out there in the green and the trees and the whole business, that's beautiful for me. Well, Alan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Um, so now we're going to move on to our last segment of the show, which is fan questions. I have a lot of them here. Oh, okay. Here's a, here's a really good one. What are you reading right now? That's a great question. It's very unusual what I'm reading right now because my son brought it back from his last hike and it was all about the, the wonder of birds and the, uh, the mystery of birds. And, you, you know, we often see them sort of flying all together and suddenly changing direction and doing things. And there's a whole lot of sort of interesting uh, magnetism uh, related to that. And how do birds evolve from dinosaurs? And, you know, was it, were they on the top of the tree or the bottom of the tree? And uh, how do they work all these miles when they go um i, I know we have coots in our area that, that disappear for months and they go over to canada do a quick flight over to canada it's quite amazing in terms of the navigation in terms of the eyesight in terms of the uh, i mean even look at penguins they're able to slow their heart rates down to such an extent that they can spend 30 minutes underwater you know really deep so there's so much to be learned from that. So that was the latest book, which was completely out of the ordinary that I do. That uh, my, my son brought me back from his last uh, hike. That was really interesting. But otherwise, I very, very rarely read any fictional novels. It's all about different things. Some of the greatest ones that I've, I've sort of read are, are are related to to genes and genomes and different things there. So I'm exploring those kind of areas all the time. So when you read about things like that, is it almost like reading a textbook? Like what is it that you're reading? 
to an extent, because most of them are written nowadays in a in a lot more interesting way than just dropping you know facts. Uh, they're usually written is how did we come across this? What happened? What brought us into that? What sent us into this track? And what did we discover from there? And there are a huge amount of of, of uh, reasonably um, good anti-aging sort of books that are there without the hype and without the fad, but looking at new things like uh, chromosomes, telomeres, uh, mitochondria, um, senescent cells, all these sort of things that are talked about. And then some peop- each one of those areas people have gone into, and I find it very interesting to sort of dig deeper into those areas as well. Let's pick another question. This is a good one. It's what advice would you give someone who's just getting into the skincare world? The reason why I want to ask you that one is you guys at Alaskan operate at a very high level, right? So um, what would it take for someone to compete and play along at that level? Um, I would say to you, the most important thing for me with this story is, and I talked about the hype uh, a little earlier on, is is to take your way, take yourself away from that. Make sure that what you are actually producing or inventing or discovering is something that you can really validate pretty well. You know, my main focus and, and motivation is, okay, let's discover something new, but let's validate and make sure that this is true and it truly happens. We're at the stage now for somebody going into that, don't do it alone. You, you've got to have a laboratory you can work with, have experts in the field, have formulators that really know what they're doing because not only is the competition huge out there, but there is so much new science and new um, availability of techniques, diagnostics, different things that if you're going to go into professional skincare and your customer is a dermatologist, plastic surgeon, aesthetician, you've really got to know what you're doing and validate what you're doing and, and, and be responsible. And I would say even in the mass market, because with Galderma now, I'm pretty involved in some of the mass market productions now, we're also really trying our utmost to sort of tackle things almost from a pharma kind of perspective, where we don't have to do that, but the validation is so important to know that what we're selling out there makes sense and is true, and we owe that to our customers and patients. I love this. I would imagine that through your work in their research facility and all through the world, a lot of um, budding scientists want to reach out to you. Are you the type of the person that responds to your LinkedIn requests when people um, younger in your space are looking for some advice? To an extent. Uh, the bane of my life and the biggest challenge of my life is enough hours in the day because now with meetings and all the rest of it, and I'm not a person coordinator, I get down and I do the science. So I like to get my hands dirty with it. So I need a lot of time in the sandpit to be able to do my own thing and discover my own. So um, I don't want to be held up by meetings and I don't want to be held up by uh, a, a lot of requests and, and mundane sort of conversation. I'm always happy to sort of, you know, get into discussion about some, some good new science and stuff, but uh, time is a, is, is a major sort of focus. And I'm cool. um, I hear you there. We can have a whole nother episode about time management. Yeah. Um, Alan, this is so amazing. Thank you so much to Alan for joining us for our 242nd episode. And to our fans and listeners, thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Alan. Thank you, Jody. Bye. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.